Well, it's Christmas time, if you didn't know already. We definitely like to think of this as a special time of year. All the, uh, the parties, the, the special Christmas foods that you bake only this time of year and you get to enjoy and you get to take a, a break from your diets. Uh, we like the Christmas lights, the Christmas decorations. You probably enjoy the different Christmas music that we get to sing. Hopefully you enjoyed this music this morning. Uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed that. Enjoy the time with families, uh, the special things that we get to do. <clears throat> Part of that is we want to enjoy taking a break from things, taking a break from the normal daily life, taking a break from our, our problems, the tough things that are going on in the world, in, in our world. Uh, we definitely enjoy work shutting down for a day or two and uh, enjoy knowing that you don't have to listen to the news. You know, it's, we're going to just think about Christmas things right now. Well, maybe you've stopped thinking about Christmas as a special time. Maybe, maybe you've had some Christmas experiences that have, have made you a, a one who would say, bah humbug. You're here, but you're, you're not going to participate in the, in the jovialities. Either way, even at Christmas time, it's not hard to realize that this world has problems, the world at large and, and the small worlds that, that we inhabit. We have problems. We might be able to take a break from them in our celebrations for a, a short time. And we might try to even pour more energy and, and attention into the, the short breaks we have, trying to make them special, capturing those special moments with families. But then we're back to the real world. And, and we know there are things that still have to be dealt with, things that still have to be faced, problems that still exist in our world. That being said, I wonder if we might not realize how, how bad it actually is out there. We hear phrases a lot from different sources, uh, news anchors, from, uh, different opinion pieces and publications, lots of free opinions on social media. If we could just blank, then the world would be fixed. If we would just have free college tuition, if we could just get rid of world hunger, then all the problems would go away. If we could just find a sustainable energy alternative or stop those carbon emissions, or if we could just switch to cursive and stick shift, then the world would be a better place. <clears throat> I saw that someone said that. Yeah, that's not my opinion. Uh, I read an article showing a lot of different high school students' opinions about what you would change about the world, one thing you would change, and a lot of them circled around how people think of each other and talk about each other, more equality, more kindness. And one student said, if we could just learn to keep our bad comments to ourselves, it's a good thing, but that won't fix the world. And even embedded in her own statement, she said later on, we are our own worst enemies. And the thing that she said, if we could learn to keep bad comments to ourselves, we're not. As people, we're not learning that. We just get worse and worse. Even if we could, it wouldn't fix the problem. And I think that also makes us ask, I wonder if we really know how bad we really are. There was an a edition of the game show, Family Feud, a couple years ago, where the final question, final series of questions, one of the questions where they 
poll 100 people and have to guess their responses. The question was, how many of the Ten Commandments have you broken in the last month? And the two different people answering, one said three and one said seven. And when the lady said seven, the host, in, during the countdown timer, had an audible pause of silence. He was very surprised by that answer. When they interacted about it later, he was completely flabbergasted. How could you break seven of the Ten Commandments in just one month? Who does that? And when they did all of the answers, got all the answers back, what was the number one answer that most people said? How many commandments have you broken in the last month? One. We know we're sinners, but we're not really that bad, are we? I think that's what that game show was saying. <clears throat> but if the world has problems and we have problems, even if it's worse than we thought, most of us know at some level that that's why Jesus came. That's why we're celebrating Christmas. Jesus is the reason for the season, right? You might have heard that. You might say that. You might have a, a banner hanging in your home or on your Facebook page that says that. And you might know that he is the Savior. You even hear that on the radio sung by some random pop stars. You might know that. But I want to ask you to consider if you really know what that means. What did he come for? How far does that go into our world of problems? Or at the very least, let's just remember what it is we are celebrating this morning, that Jesus is the reason for the season. Is he the reason for the season for you? I want to ask you to consider, can you live without Jesus? And more than just at Christmas time. Turn with me to Luke chapter 2, if you're not already there. Luke chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 22, and we're going to look at a little piece of the Christmas story and three things that tells us about Jesus, why he came into this world of problems, three reasons why we can't live without Jesus. So in verse 22, and when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. This is telling us an important aspect of Jesus' life, and one that we don't normally associate with Christmas, that Jesus fulfilled the law. Let me say it this way. He did everything that we couldn't do. Let's look at, at the law here first, what is being fulfilled. We're told that they, here, Mary and Joseph, are complying with the law. They, when the time came for their purification, they come to Jerusalem to present a sacrifice for their purification. Uh, the, the sacrifice named in verse 24 is for them. It's not a sacrifice for Jesus. Uh, because of their uncleanness, the law of the Israelites at that time uh, would have made 
Mary ceremonially unclean for 40 days. So this day is 40 days after the birth of Jesus because of childbirth, she was uh, ceremonially unclean. It's not a, a slight on mothers or, or childbirth or anything like that. That's just part of their ceremonial process. And Joseph, by virtue of being in, in close contact with her, also was unclean. So they came to offer a sacrifice for their purification. And while they're doing that, they are walking Jesus through the law too. We skip back to verse 21 right before the text we read. Eight days after he was born, he was circumcised. And that's when he was called Jesus. They, they didn't name their babies until the day that they were circumcised. That was their tradition. Uh, they named him Jesus as they were told to do by the angel uh, earlier in the book of Luke. Uh, months before, months before this. Uh, so it's interesting to see that they are responding to and obeying the, the special revelation that they received. The angel told them to do this, name your son Jesus, and they did that. But they also were responding to and obeying the, the written law that had been in existence for thousands of years. The angel didn't tell them, now it's time to circumcise your baby. Now it's time to go to the, the temple. They were obeying and following what Jesus, what God had already revealed to them. They're also walking baby Jesus through the law in the phrase it says here in the end of verse 22, to present him to the Lord. What is bound up in that? We, we get a picture of that back in the Old Testament with Hannah when she presents her, her baby to the temple in service to the Lord. Uh, but it goes back even further than that and it's quoted here in verse 23 from Exodus 13 Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Every firstborn son of Israel was intended to be set apart from their family in service to God through the temple. Uh, and that's what Hannah did with, with her firstborn son. But then later on we're reminded in Numbers 18 that the, the Levites, one entire clan of the people of Israel, took the place of all the firstborn sons of Israel. They were set aside uh, and so not every firstborn from every family had to leave their family and go to serve in the temple or the priesthood or anything like that. The entire clan took their place. Uh, and in response to that, in exchange for that, every pay family uh, was required to pay five shekels. So this is probably a part of what they were doing in presenting him at the temple. And they paid their five shekels saying, now we get to take him home with us. He doesn't have to stay here because the Levites are taking the place of that. Uh, but at the very least, it was a, a symbolic act of, of them saying, we're presenting Jesus to the Lord. He, he doesn't actually belong to us. Uh, an act of submission. <clears throat> They're acknowledging that Jesus really belonged to God. And even before Jesus had the capacity to make those ch choices himself, Mary and Joseph were helping him be compliant with the law of Israel that he was born into. And why is it important that Jesus comply with the law? It's because of what he came to do. The saving that the Savior came to do rested on him obeying the law. The problems that we began thinking about, everything that's wrong with the world, Jesus came to fix that. Now we'll step back a little bit. From the very beginning of time, God was clear that he was going to fix the things that were wrong with the world. From the time that the first man and woman sinned, God says, I'm going to fix that. And then later on, he told Abraham, it's going to be through your family that I'm going to do something that will bless all the nations of the world. 
And then later on, he tells David, it's through your kingly line that I will bring about a king to set things aright and, and reign forever. So the people of Israel were chosen to be God's people and to produce the Messiah. And for that reason, God gave them a set of laws to live by, to set them apart and to prepare them for the Messiah. So for Jesus to come as the Messiah and fulfill these prophecies, these expectations of the people of Israel, being born into Israel, he was necessarily born under that law. Galatians 4 reminds us of that. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. But it wasn't just that he was born under the law as a matter of, of course. He stepped into that. He embraced everything that it meant. He identified with the people that he came to save. He stepped into the law. So even here at the beginning, and as we see him going on throughout his earthly life, he is expressing his act of, of submission to the law. And even here being presented to the Lord, he who needed no priest and would actually serve as everyone else's priest is being acknowledged that he is, has been, his place has been taken by a priesthood class. He humbled himself to that. One step further, he didn't just, wasn't just born under the law, he didn't just step in and identify with the law, but he perfectly complied with the law. He perfectly obeyed it to demonstrate that he was a worthy savior. No one else in the history of Israel perfectly obeyed God's law. The Pharisees tried very hard and they thought they got close on the outside, but the inside was, was dead and rotten. No one in any time or place from any people has ever perfectly obeyed God's laws. And when Jesus comes, and does that, he demonstrates that he is a worthy savior. He's more than just a good teacher. He's more than just a good example. Let me ask again, why can't you live without Jesus? Because he did everything we couldn't do. Let's, let's keep putting those pieces together as we get this picture of Jesus. Uh, let's look to the rest of the text here. Back to verse 25, follow along with me. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this, was, this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the, when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant Depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for your glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign <clears throat> that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that th thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This man we see here, Simeon, he's clearly calling Jesus the Savior. It's not just that Jesus is the reason for the season in a trite way. The season exists because Jesus 
came. We have something to celebrate because Jesus came as the, the Savior, as the Messiah. And Simeon tells us what that means. He's going to show us, number two, that Jesus fixes everything that we messed up. He came to be the Savior, to, to fix, to rescue, to deliver. Simeon gives us a list of reasons that Jesus is the Messiah. First of all, he calls Jesus the consolation of Israel. Israel has a long history of tragedy, trial, suffering, oppression, occupation, mainly because of their own sin, their own failures, their own betrayal and inability to live up to the law that they were given. And part of what Jesus is coming to do is to answer that need, that hunger that they have for restoration, for things to be put right, to be things to be finally the way that they are supposed to be. As it relates to Israel, Simeon also says that Jesus came for glory to your people Israel. Israel was known for, and they were proud of the fact that God's glory came to dwell with them, the Shekinah glory in their temple. But that had been gone for hundreds of years. And now Simeon is acknowledging and seeing that glory is being restored to the people of Israel. The full embodiment of that Shekinah glory that dwelt in the temple is now coming to dwell with them in the flesh for a short while and to make it possible for them to dwell with him in his glory for all of eternity. Glory to the people of Israel. And again, he could do this. He could be the consolation and the glory of Israel because he fulfilled the law. But it's not just to Israel that Jesus came. Many of us know the history of Israel and, and, and we, we understand that, um, but we have no you know, blood connection to the people of Israel. So if that's all it were, we could think of it as a curiosity and an interesting story, but we would have no personal gain, but it doesn't stop there. Simeon says that he saw God, he says, your salvation that you prepared in the presence of all peoples. And he also said that Jesus is the light for revelation to the Gentiles, not just to Israel, but to all people, to all the Gentiles. The salvation, the rescue, the deliverance, the saving that the Savior came to bring is for all people. And what is that salvation? Let's remember it if we know it. Take note what we mean when we salvation if you don't know what we mean when we say that. Saving, the Savior came to save people from something and to something. He came to save people from death and hell and from sin. And he did that by coming to die on the cross. We celebrate now the birth of Jesus but this is just the beginning of the story of his earthly life that culminates in him dying on the cross. We celebrate that at Easter. And when he died on the cross, he is taking the sin of people on him. Israel had sacrificed innocent animals for thousands of years, animals whose blood would cover their sin. 
But now, Jesus is coming as an innocent, not animal, but as an innocent person, another human being who is in everything like we are, yet without sin. And he demonstrated that by obeying the law, being fully compliant with the law. And his blood that is shed on the cross will not just cover our sin temporarily, but will wash it away. Wash away our sin. And it's in this sense that Jesus says later in the Gospels that he came to fulfill the law. It wasn't that Jesus came, he saw that everyone was failing the law, and he thought, okay, let's just throw this playbook out, let's try grace and forgiveness instead. It wasn't that Jesus decided, okay, I'm just going to be nice now, I'm going to stop being the, the mean ogre who had laws. No, he met in himself all the demands of the law. He fulfilled the law. And then he absorbed in himself all the consequences of those who have broken the law. So we who have faith in Christ can experience none of the consequences of our sin for eternity and all the benefits of Christ's obedience. We're forgiven at the same time the law is upheld. The law is fulfilled in Christ. Salvation is being saved from that. Not just being saved from eternity in hell. It is that. It's not just being saved from death. We, we will still experience death, uh, but it does not have the sting in Christ because we know where eternity is. But he comes and saves us from the sin that caused those things. And it's not just eventually we'll be saved, but he comes and says he can be the savior to us now and change us now. And in that sense, he's not just saving us from things, but he's also saving us to something. And he's saving us to a restored fellowship with God the Father. If you look back at one of these phrases that Simeon says in verse 34, he says he will be a sign that is opposed. He is a sign. Jesus draws a lot of attention and, and worship in scripture. But even that, even in that, he is a sign of the Father. He does not intend to draw all attention to himself, but to be a sign pointing to God the Father. God the Father sent him. And he intends to save us to a restored fellowship with the Father, to be right with God, so that we can know God the Father, we can love God the Father, and we can worship him as we were created to do. And in Simeon, we see a picture of the salvation that the Messiah brings. If you'll note, Simeon is called a righteous man, a devout man. But he's at the temple, and what happens at the temple? That's where sacrifices were made. Sacrifices were made for Simeon. He wasn't righteous in and of himself. Uh, and this is an expression of faith that had evidently resulted in his salvation, even though he hadn't yet seen and known who Jesus was. We know he is saved because he's described as being full of the Spirit. The Spirit has come to dwell in him because he has been made new. He's been made spiritually alive. And now he's able to do what he couldn't do before. Like Jesus. He's able to know God. He's able to love God. He's able to worship God. There's one more phrase that Simeon says that I want to draw your attention to before we move on. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
tells his mother, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. And it's true of many beyond Israel. It's not just Israel. What he means is that men will rise or fall depending on what they do with Jesus, how they respond to Jesus. Will you come to Jesus in faith or turn away on your own attempts to fulfill the law? Will you rise or fall depending on what you do with Jesus? Can you live without Jesus? Simeon says no, because Jesus fixes everything that that we messed up. Last thought here, let's finish up going back to the very first thing that Simeon says, verse 29. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. I want to paraphrase that, we'll continue to explain it, but paraphrase it. He is saying, Jesus is the only thing that we can't live without. We live in a world with a lot of options for entertainment, for hobbies, new hobbies being created every day. And you can find a YouTube video and a website and a hashtag for all of those. A lot of options for our lifelong passions and dreams, things that we think our, our, our life should be about. A lot of options for our expendable incomes. And they're all promoted us to us as things that we can't live without. Your life is not complete without these things. There's a book that I have read bits of here and there. It's kind of hard to get through. Um, this is so big. It's a thousand things to see before you die. Have you seen that or read part of that? A thousand things to see before you die. And uh, this is published before the internet age where we can see a lot more. You can see pictures of places, things that we never knew existed, places in the world that are, are beautiful that we didn't know about before and only a few rare people ever got to go and visit and see the Iguazu Falls down in South America that make the Niagara Falls look like a tiny little thing. Um, beautiful places around the world. A thousand things to see before you die. There's a, a popular hashtag to those who know about such things. Um, hashtag F-O-M-O. Does anybody know what that means? Fear of missing out. It's an anxiety prevalent enough to be a hashtag and also the subject of study by a group of Oxford psychologists. It's not just an internet sensation, it's not just things that um, can be hashtagged online. We do have fear of missing out on many things. There's must-see TV. And even though TV's changing and very few people see the same programs because it's so diversified, we're still tempted to think we're missing out on something. There are lots of other shows that people love and I've never even heard of that one. We fear missing out. There are pop songs and country songs that say over and over, I can't live without you or her. They sing about several different people. 
Most of us just finished up making Christmas lists recently. And we probably didn't think in our minds, these are things I can't live without. I have to have these things before I die. But in some way, we're saying, I I want these things. I think they will bring me happiness. I think my life will be better because I have these things. Or maybe you're thinking not of presents, but of the family time. You're, you really want that idyllic Christmas traditional family time, and you're trying to create the memories and traditions, and you've packed your, your 24 hours of family time with so many things that uh, you're gonna get sick. But Simeon tells us what we should be living for here. Simeon's a man who's ready to die. It's not because he's unhappy or he's feels like he's been dealt a bad hand. He's saying he's ready to die precisely for the opposite reason. He is satisfied. Simeon has seen everything he needed to see in this life. He's ready to go. He's completed his list, his bucket list, and that list only had one thing on it. He got to see Jesus. And to him, Jesus was more than just a ticket to heaven. Jesus was a person that loved him and that he could love. God cared about Simeon as a man. We don't know much about the rest of Simeon's life, what hard things he had in his life. If he had a family, if he survived his family, we don't know. But it's amazing that God cared about him and he stepped into Simeon's world for whatever reason, whatever time, we don't even know, and said, you get to see the Messiah before you die. People have been waiting for 400 years. I mean, they've been waiting for thousands of years, and it's been 400 years before they heard anything from God, any word from God. And God says to Simeon, you get to see the Messiah. We don't know why God did that, but we know God cared about Simeon as a man. There was fellowship, there was that relationship there. And that's all Simeon wanted out of life. His eyes got to see the salvation that was coming, but also that had visited him in this life now, and he, that's all he needed. If you don't know Jesus this way, I ask you to consider. Consider how this Jesus fixes everything that we've broken. Consider what Jesus came for at Christmas to save us from our sin, what he saved us for. I ask you to remember that he is a worthy savior because he did everything that we couldn't do. And if you do know Jesus like this, if you can't live without him, if he's the only thing that you can't live without, tell someone. We're gonna sing about it in a minute. Go tell it on the mountain. Go and tell someone. Let's pray. God, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he came to save us. He came to fix the world that was broken and to fix us, our sin. Thank you that Jesus is a worthy savior. We pray that your salvation would come to some of those who have never seen the light. Whether here this morning or those that we will be able to interact with throughout the holidays. We pray that we, like Simeon, would live for nothing else than knowing Jesus. And we would go and tell someone. Jesus' name, amen.